Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, I'm happy to introduce our new pastor of Mission and Discipleship, Pastor Kurt Flagel. Pastor Kurt preaches a sermon out of James chapter 1, titled Experiencing Fulfillment. God embodies qualities that are truly amazing and inspiring. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. These qualities define who he is at the core. God genuinely wants to share himself with us, no matter the cost. His love goes beyond anything we can imagine, surpassing any other relationships we have. So let's open our hearts to receive the incredible blessings he's offering. The choices we make in this journey will lead us to experience more fulfillment and joy. Trust in God's incredible character and let his love transform your life. Embrace the adventure and watch as he pours out his goodness upon you. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you. And before I talk to you, let's talk to everybody online. Can we do that first? So can we wave and greet everyone online? Say, thank you for being online with us here. Weird. Okay. And especially if you, good friends of mine who happen to be a part of our church family here, Brett and Serena, can we say hi, Brett and Serena? Hi, Brett and Serena. So they are leaving for Scotland tomorrow. I'm not jealous in the least. Just saying that, not jealous. A little bit, a little bit. So for those of you who've been here for a while, it is so awesome to be a part of this family with you. Thank you for how welcoming you've been through the last two months of me sliding in here and just getting started being a part of this family And it is a family. It is a family. I can tell you that. I've experienced it. And for those of you who've walked in the door for the first time, I want to say to you, from our perspective, you're a part of the family right now. And that's your choice, right? But you are, from our point of view, you are a part of the family. So we have this thing, right? Every family has culture, right? Every family's different. Every family's weird, let's be honest. Right? Come on. Right? Every family has its values, and we have our family values, right? The first one, hope. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe hope. Okay, we got some hope. Good. Hope the slides work. There's a start. Hope beyond our brokenness. Okay, anyone here? Still wrestling with some brokenness in their lives besides me. I'm glad I'm not alone. Thank you for raising your hands. So you know what's great about brokenness? Without it, we don't need hope. So here's what's cool about our brokenness. In our brokenness, God is pouring out hope. Is that awesome or what? And here's what's great. Hope that even though we're experiencing some brokenness or maybe a lot today, God is moving us forward in the journey. And here's why we can believe that's true. Here's why we can trust that. Because our other family values, we trust in a risen Savior. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Here's why. Because Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he rose from the dead. So that means that death cannot defeat us because Jesus carried us with him into death and then out the other side, into life. 
So here's this thing, right? How many of us experienced death? Now, I'm not talking about physical death, though we all will experience that until Jesus comes back, but how about the little deaths that we face all the time, the little, the little deaths, the endings in our lives, like the end of a marriage, the end of a friendship, the end of a career or a dream that we hoped would come to fruition. How about those ends? Here's the thing. When you trust Jesus, right, relationships are about connection, right? When you, and you can't have a healthy relationship without two legs. And believe me, I know a lot about healthy and unhealthy legs, right? There are two legs we all stand on in relationships, love and trust, And if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, you trust them. That's a healthy relationship. And when we trust Jesus, we're connected to him. And he who defeated death, whatever ending we are facing, he carries us through into a new life. Yeah? Yeah. Come on. Isn't that awesome? So when we are receiving the life, that Jesus is giving us, trusting him, whatever ending we face, there's a new life. This is what happens. Restoration, not just for us, but we get to experience it for ourselves and let it flow out of us because the life of Jesus cannot be contained in us. When we're receiving it, it overflows to everyone around us and there's not just restoration for us, restoration for our community. How about that? Yeah. And I'll just tell you, when I say the word community, because, you know, words have meaning, but sometimes words have different meanings to different people. When I say the word community, I think county. Just want you guys to know. Like, I live in Slow, but I've been praying since I moved here for the county of Slow, not for the city of Slow. And ironically, here I am in the five cities. So this is awesome. So restoration for the county through each one of us. That is what God is doing. That is what God's doing. But there's this thing, right, called choice. This little tiny thing called free will that God gives all of us, right? Okay, it's a little more than tiny. It's huge, right? So we have to choose. Will we choose this morning these three things? Will we choose to have hope beyond our brokenness by trusting in our risen Savior who then works through us to bring restoration to our county. Will we trust him? Will we? Okay, then today in this moment, read this with me, okay? Today, in this moment, I choose to seek Jesus first. I choose to be changed by Jesus. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Yes. Woo, okay, that, we're just getting started. It feels like we already lifted a whole lot of stuff, right? So last week, Andy, in a great message, got us right into the book of James, right? So James, just so in case you weren't here, there's two things to remember about James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. I, I cannot even imagine that. Being Jesus' half-brother, the pressure And he was writing, so he's the author of this book that we're getting into, and it was a letter. He was writing to a group of people who were Jewish Christ followers, 
who most likely were being uh, evicted or fleeing Jerusalem because of religious persecution, because of the religious, Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. So they're being spread across the Roman Empire. And James writes a letter to them. Important for us to keep that in mind as we read. So today, uh, we're, Andy got us through to verse 12. It would be good to know that because, you know, I have to pick up after that. So we're going to start in verse 13 and following. But before we do that, I'm going to give you three words we're really going to focus on, okay? So can we bring those three words? Okay. So, you know, words, and we've already been talking this morning how words have, have different meanings to different people. And so some of these words, honestly, we say them all the time, right? But do we really know what they mean? And also, what do they mean to us? Now, my guess is the first word may have negative connotations for you, right? But so may the second depending on who you are. So can we just, just for a moment, can we just face and acknowledge how we're feeling as we read these words? Let, like, I would even say, ask God, show me what I'm really feeling in this moment as I read these three words, okay? Now take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath in with me, come on. And breathe out and relax. Because maybe today, especially with the first word, but also the second one and the third, maybe you're going to see things in a a new light. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find some rest as you think about these words in the future. So, you don't have to trust me for this. Remember what we already said. Who do we trust in? We trust, yes, in Jesus, our risen Savior, right? So you can relax as we talk about things that are difficult, maybe difficult to talk about. So before we go on, can I pray for us as we begin to read the scriptures? God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you are real I thank you that your love is real for us and there is nothing in this world that we face that we have to be afraid of because you are the God who carries us from death to life. God, I bless everyone here with the Holy Spirit, just receptivity and sensitivity, everyone online, everyone who's listening, everyone who will ever watch this in the future. We bless them with your spirit moving in power We declare the blood of Jesus over this time and we command as your beloved children that only the Holy Spirit will prosper in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Okay. So let's read this together, shall we? Oh, the scripture. There we go. Okay. Here we go. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth 
to death. Aren't you glad you came today? It's so light, <laughs> fluffy, relaxing. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. So what's interesting, I don't know if you have this thought of it's just me. I'm really curious about things. And when I was first reading this, the, the question that came into my mind first was, why, can God, why is God not tempted by sin? You ever thought that? You ever had that question? It could be just me. That's okay. Anyone else? Just curious. Now, we give church answers, don't we, sometimes? Like, what's the first question or first answer that usually comes to mind when something like this comes up, right? Why is God not tempted by sin? Because God is good. And that is true. But what is good and what is evil and what is all that about? Why can God not be tempted by evil and sin? What does sin even mean? Think of, think of it. You miss your mark. You miss your mark, right. Romans 6.23 talks about that, how we miss the mark. We fall short of the glory of God, and that is absolutely true. And that is important to think about, actually, because what is God's glory, right? What does God's glory look like? What does it even mean? So there's this guy named John. You could put an apostle before that if you'd like. And he wrote one of the four accounts of Jesus' life called the book of John. One, actually, my favorite. My favorite of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And he uses imagery a lot through his account of Jesus and his stories. And one of his popular motifs he uses over and over again is this idea of the symbolism of light and darkness. Light and darkness. And John qualifies for us that darkness, he equates it to evil. And he equates light to God. In fact, he even says God is, Jesus is the light. Right? So that's helpful for us when we think about evil and sin. Evil and sin, John equates it to darkness. What is darkness? Absence of lights. Yes, the absence of lights. So, sin and evil is the absence of God who is the light. We said we fall short of God's glory. An absence of light. The absence of light, darkness, is actually the absence of God. And God in his glory is absolutely infinite and complete. So sin can be then qualified as not having God's completeness in a moment in our lives. Having, being empty of God's completeness. Being absent and empty. Now, this should be a comfort to us if we think about sin in those terms, right? It's just emptiness. That's all it is. So think of this. When that gas light turns on in your car to tell you that your car is getting empty, do you feel ashamed? Do you feel disgusted by your car? Do you get, like, do you get super, you, this might be with the gas prices today, but do you, do you, you want to take a sledgehammer to your car? 
There might be other reasons for that. But what happens when that gaslight comes on? What do you, what do you see that as? It's empty, and there's an invitation tied to that, which is what? Fill it up, right? Fill it up. So what if, whenever we are dealing with sin, from God's perspective, it is simply emptiness, and all that he is asking of us is to come to him with it so that he could fill us again with the glory that we're falling short of. But here's an issue we have. I have it. I'm going to tell on myself right now. I have a hard time accepting that I get empty. I have a hard time accepting the fact that I'm not God and that I'm not infinite. I have a hard time accepting that I'm finite. In fact, I actively resist it a lot. Maybe you do too. Let me give you some scenarios. Here's where, what it looks like to resist our finiteness. You ready? We worry about the future. I'm not talking about dreaming and planning and hoping for retirement, putting money aside. I'm talking about worry. What is going to happen? And feeling like that the future is just a big ball of crap rolling towards you, right? (laughs) That's called worry. When we worry about the future, we are trying to be God. We are grasping for infinite because here's the truth. God is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I am Kurt who is. And this is the only moment I can live in. And when I worry about the future, I am actually resisting my finiteness, and that is pride. Here's another one. Have you ever tried to control the results of a situation? Think of it. Think about this. If you, like me, and I've done this, if we ever go into a situation where we feel like we want to help somebody, but we think of all the ways that they might try to resist us, and we try to figure out the best way to handle the situation so the benefit, everything works out the way we want it to, that's called resisting our finiteness. That's pride. Because who is in charge of the results of what other people do or don't do? Who's in charge of the circumstances around us? Us or God? God. So when we step into that, we're resisting our finiteness. Those are just a few guys. There are a lot, right? There are a lot of things we do, right? You know why we do that? Why do we resist? Fear. And there's this, there's this voice inside of us that tells us that our finiteness isn't enough and it's wrong. Guys, finite means we're not enough. Hey, hate to break it to you, on our own, we're not enough. Jesus called that poverty of spirit and he said, blessed are those who accept that. 
what comes in is shame. The issue isn't our finiteness, it's whether we feel ashamed of it. And I often do. I feel shame about the fact that I'm not enough. What's the difference between guilt and shame? Take a look at this. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. We all do that, right? Shame whispers, I am something wrong. There is a voice whispering in us. It is the enemy who wants us to be ashamed of our finiteness. And here's the pattern. Can we go back to James, that scripture again? Here's the pattern. What happens? We feel that shame. And it may not be shame in a moment. It might be fear. It might be anxiety. It might be worry. We feel that. Are any of those emotions I just mentioned, are they life-giving? So they're empty. And this is where temptation comes in. We feel one of these empty emotions. We feel shame over our finiteness. We feel shame over something in our lives that we are, we're wrong. Or we feel worry or guilt. Or we feel grief or sorrow. And they're empty. They're devoid of life. And if we listen to the voice that says that we're not enough and we should be ashamed of that fact that we're feeling empty, will we go to God? Typically not, because we feel like the enemy is really good at making his voice sound like, make us think that it's God's voice, right? He's really good at whispering as if he's God in our hearts and minds. And if we feel shame and we believe that that's God talking to us, we ain't going to God. What are we going to turn to to make ourselves feel better? Whatever. Yeah, whatever, exactly. <laughs> whatever else we turn to besides God is sin, which means it's empty. Without God breathing life into something, we are empty. So in our empty emotion, we turn to Binge-watching TV shows. We turn to alcohol. We turn to shopping. We turn to, name it, right? Food, sports, whatever, right? We turn to something else that inherently isn't God, and therefore, on its own, without him breathing life into it and without us asking for him to breathe life into it, it leads to more emptiness. So this, in the moment, the crux of the matter is we feel empty and then we turn to more emptiness and that is sin. Now we're really empty and if we continue to resist what God is saying, come to me, that invitation to fill up, we will continue to grow more and more empty and what is the big empty? death. And that's when, when we're operating out of emptiness, we are, we're not filled with God and his love. It begins to seep out. That emptiness seeps out to other people and it creates the end of relationships, the end of our dreams, the end of a job because we're operating out of emptiness. And the whole time God is like, 
hey, come on. I'm not ashamed of you. Hear me on that. He is not ashamed of you, ever. That is never God's voice when you feel shame. Look at me. God loves you. And you want to know how I know that? I don't even need these scriptures. I know, heresy. No, I need these scriptures, but I don't need this. Hold up your hand. I I want everyone to hold up your hand and look at your hand. Here's how I know that God is okay, more than okay, that he created you finite and never to be ashamed of it. Look at your fingers. Do you see those gaps in between your fingers? Like if God wanted us, if God didn't want us to be finite, he he could have made our fingers like this and we just do the robot all day, right? Look at your, this is how you were created. If you can't accept that you are finite, you're missing that you have fingers that have gaps, just like our finiteness has gaps. We're limited. And it was, we were, our hands were created this way for a reason, so that another hand could come in and fill those places. And that hand is God asking you, will you let me hold your hands? Will you let me walk with you? This is the perfect example of relationship. And here's the cool thing. Sin is not something to be ashamed of before God. It is an acknowledgement that we're all empty and finite. And it is the invitation of God to come and let him hold our hands. Yeah? But when we listen to the voice of shame, what do we do? Go like this. We close our fist to God. Can we receive anything from anyone when our hand is in this position? What do we end up doing? We fight God, we fight each other, and there is where the emptiness is just flowing. You cannot let go of the emptiness and and receive unless you open your hand to God. And this is the deception of the enemy to keep us in this place so we just walk around empty because he does not want us to be filled with God's love. He does not want us to be filled. And we, when we walk around like this, this is where we get into all kinds of trouble. And so this is the deception that the enemy is totally trying to get us to walk in all the time. And this is why James starts off the next part with these words. Don't be deceived. Can you read this with me? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's ironic that we are talking about fathers one week before Father's Day. Some of us need this because when we think of a heavenly father, we have a hard time getting past the lens of of our earthly father or earthly parents or earthly guardians or adopted parents. 
And there's a whole lot of pain in that word father for many, many of us, including myself. So how do we get past that to see the heavenly father for who he is? The father of the heavenly lights. And light is the fullness of who God is that he wants to give us the light of his love and his completeness. How do we get past the deception of our shame to see that? There is this natural progression as we grow up. A development cycle when we are children that all children walk through. This is the way we were made, is that we're concrete thinkers before we're abstract thinkers. Right? We don't start to become able to go like, you know, to a kid, if you say, Jesus is like, or the Trinity is like an egg. The kid sees Jesus as an egg. It's like at, until a certain age, right? Until they begin to be able to handle abstract concepts. When we're children, the way we were designed as children was to, to look at our parents and see love. But in a concrete child's mind, they are the source of love. Right? Concrete thinkers. My parents are the source of love. Well, what happens? We all know, right? I'm a parent. I'll I'll admit this. I am finite. We've been saying this. I cannot love my children to the degree that they need to be loved because I am finite. And what happens to a child who looks at their parents as the source of love and they don't feel that they're getting the love they need? Where do they put the blame if their parents in their eyes are the source of love? And shame comes in. And the enemy uses the very thing that God created our children to be as concrete thinkers until about fourth or fifth grade he uses that to put shame in them from a little age. God, the enemy is already working to create shame in children. And we grow up with this viewpoint that our parents were the source of love. And we may not even realize it as we get older, but we're still holding on to that. And there's still a lot of shame in us, in our relationship with our parents. And we look at them and all we want is to be loved in the way that we that we wish they would love us and they don't and they fall short and we blame ourselves and we equate that into our relationship with God. The, the real source of love. Don't be deceived. We have to learn to look beyond our parents and other people and see them as finite. If we see sin in this way, that it's emptiness, and all of us are walking in that, we give so much more grace and mercy if we see sin in the right way. If we don't, man, we are running from God and we are blaming other people and we are judging other people. But we have to learn to look beyond. We have to learn to look beyond our parents and see them as the vessel of love. There's a guy named Apostle Paul who wrote these words. It's not up there. It's just something that's resonated a lot with me lately. He said, when I I was a child, 
I thought like a child. But when I became a man or a woman, I put childish ways behind me. It is time. James is telling us it is time to put the childish ways of viewing our parents behind us and look beyond them to see the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change ever like shifting shadow. Has anyone ever seen the movie Patch Adams? Anyone ever see that movie? Hold up your hands again. We're going to be handsy this morning. I don't know what that means, but we're doing it. And there's a scene in the beginning of Patch Adams where he's been institutionalized and this guy keeps coming up to him and he, he, holds, he says, hold out your hand. How many fingers do you see? And Patch logically, concretely says five. And the guy gets frustrated. And this goes on and on and on and on, right? And then finally, there's this pivotal scene where he says, he puts up the hand and he says, look beyond the fingers. So look beyond your fingers. Don't look at your fingers. Look beyond them. And, and then he says, tell me how many you see. And he says, 10. I see 10. He says, yes. If you will learn to look beyond your circumstances, look beyond what's in front of you, you will see things no one else sees. If you will learn to trust the risen Savior that he is your source of love, not your earthly parents, and you learn to look beyond your earthly parents, you will see a heavenly father standing there who loves you completely and it will help you open up your hand when you are feeling empty and let go of the shame, let go of the grief, let go of the anxiety. He is the gift. This is the last word. Every good and perfect gift. What is the perfect gift? God himself, salvation is God giving himself to us. Jesus on the cross is love. And he says all the time that love, right, is doing something for someone else that will cost you for their benefit. Jesus, it cost him everything. He gave himself completely to us and we killed him. And he still did it. He still gave himself to us. And that very vulnerable sacrifice killed death. It broke death. So God's gift to us is himself. Every moment beyond our earthly parents that withheld things or whoever, my wife, me, whoever, beyond them is a God who's always giving himself to us. Always. And here's a cool gift that you may not see as a gift. That moment that you become aware of anxiety is actually a gift. That moment you become aware of your shame is actually a gift. Because you know what happens? If we don't know what's going on inside of us, we're operating out of it anyway. And that's where the enemy loves to live, in the darkness unseen in those places, right? Light illuminates things. And here's the gift of God of the Father of the heavenly lights illuminates for us the places where we're struggling. But here's what happens if we're operating out of shame. The minute anxiety hits, we freak out. 
When we feel it, right? We freak out and we run to something else to feel better. Unless, what, what if we see it as a gift? What if we now see that awareness, the moment of anxiety, the moment of shame, the moment we feel grief, we see it as God's gift to us so that we see it, we're aware of it, and we face it, and we invite him. Oh, it's, this is, I'm empty. The gaslight is coming on. If your car, does, that gaslight doesn't come out on and you run out of gas, bad things happen to your engine. I know. Just honest. Bad things happen to your engine. If, we, if the empty light for us comes on and we ignore it, bad things happen. But if we see our emptiness, our grief, our sorrow, the awareness of that, not the thing itself, not the thing itself, but the awareness of that negative emotion as God's gift, there's a hardwired into it an invitation. Come. This gift of awareness comes with an invitation. Come fill up. And I'm telling you, this is I've learned personally in very painful ways through this disease. If you saw, thank you for holding my cane this whole time, Andy. This is awesome. <laughs> I have a I'm dealing with a disease called inclusion body myositis. And what that is, it is a neurological myopathy that is destroying the muscles constantly. Like I'm work, it's, my body feels like it's working out constantly. And so my muscles are being ripped down, the muscles in my extremities, so legs, arms and hands, and my throat, being torn down constantly. And when this happened, my wife, understandably, when I was diagnosed, she got angry with God. I mean, come on. That's a natural reaction. Anger is a natural reaction. And she said, I don't understand why God would let this happen to you. You pray more than anyone else I know. You follow him like no one else I know. Why would he let this happen to you? And I said, it's because I pray so much. It's because I walk with him that he trusts me with this. And see, here's what I've learned about the gift of awareness. I'm a bit of a spaz, if you can't tell, okay? I'm pretty hyper. And when you have a lot of energy, you can go, go, go all day long, and you don't have to stop and pay attention to what's really happening inside of you. And then this... I cannot go fast anymore. I lose energy a lot quicker. And you know what's cool about that? I slow down. And I'm paying attention to what's happening in me, in my heart and mind, and what's happening around me. And this has become a gift. Not the disease itself. It sucks. (laughs) But the, the gifts that God is giving beyond, looking beyond this, to see the source of love going, Kurt, I'm going to use this. God did not bring brokenness into this world. In fact, he warned us not to let it in, and we did. And he said, okay, these are the tools you'll give me, and he will use them because God will use anything for, because he loves us. And God is, this is a gift of awareness like I've never had before that I can go along and say, oh, something's happening in me because I'm going so much slower now, I feel the, the anxiety. 
I'm going to tell you, all week, I've been wrestling with worry and anxiety before prepping this message. I've been wrestling with it, and I've noticed it, and I, and I see it now as, a, as that awareness of that, as a gift that I keep giving it back. Keep giving it back. And I can tell you right now, I am very comfortable after wrestling with worry and anxiety. But only that has come because of this. And I thank him. I thank him for that gift. Because you know what? I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade where I am. Not for anything in the world. And so, I just want you guys to know, and girls, and ladies, and men, is that you have a God who loves you, and he is inviting you through all the things in your life. Your sin is not shameful to him. It is not disgusting. It is not filthy. To God, it's just empty. And then it is an invitation to come and fill up. And look what he wants you to fill up, the Father of the heavenly lights. Can we bring up that Galatians passage? This is who God is. Fruit, fruit is the evidence of the character of the thing. If you come up to an apple tree and you see apples on it, you know it's an apple tree, right? This, when you see love, joy, peace, Patience, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the very character of God. When you're experiencing those things, it is God himself giving himself to you. And sin is God's invitation. When we become aware of the emptiness, it is his invitation to come and fill up. And you know what happens when we keep coming and filling up? We become the fruit. Can we get that last verse? This is it. We're almost done. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. When we are receiving the fullness of God, we become like him. The fruit of who he is overflows out of us and we become restoration for our community. So that moment of temptation when shame or anxiety or whatever comes in, know that in that moment, if you choose to let God in, if you choose to open up your hands and let him in, not, it's not just about you. Everyone around you is going to experience him because you cannot contain the infinite God in your finite selves. Is that awesome? All right. All right. We got one more thing, and that is, will we choose? Will we choose to let him show us where we're empty right now? Will we choose to let him show us what we're, those negative things we're feeling? So I want to give you just literally a few seconds. Just ask God, and if you will, in your minds, ask him. We can bring that up. Okay, good. Ask him, show me where the emptiness I'm feeling is right now. Show me. I'm just, we're going to be just silent for just a few seconds. Okay. If something came to mind... Let's choose to give it to God right now. Let's practice. Are we good? Are we ready? Yep. Let's say this out loud with feeling, okay? 
I choose to give you the place where I'm experiencing emptiness right now. And Jesus, I just pray with that choice, we declare the blood of Jesus over the choices we just made and we command in the power and authority we've been given as your children that only the Holy Spirit will prosper in those places. We seal him in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why you got to preach at me the entire time? <laughs> oh my gosh. Can, uh, can we affirm uh, with the elders, uh, Kurt, as our new pastor for mission and discipleship, uh, can all those in favor say amen? Amen. Thank you. Anyway, don't go nowhere. Oh, oh, oh. Take a drink of water. I'm trying to put it down, actually. Oh. <laughs> Zed gave you the wrong cup of water. It's okay, it's okay. Um, uh, golly, Zed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we're going uh, to worship. I want to invite you, anybody who needs prayer, Kurt and I will pray for you guys if you want to come up to pray. Uh, invite you guys to enjoy some food afterwards and be able to greet uh, our new pastor. I want to let you know that we'll be having a service here at the end of the month where we'll get to pray and ordain and anoint both Kurt and other staff members who haven't had a chance because of COVID and all the things uh, for that. But we love you and we're grateful for you. And would you please give us the benediction? May the God who is the eternal light and infinite light and everything we desire, may he bless you, comfort you, strengthen you, and also challenge you this week to open up and let him in. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, can we welcome Kurt Flagel, our new pastor for Mission and Discipleship. Y'all have a wonderful rest of the day. We love you guys. And if you want prayer, come forward for prayer. Pastor Kurt Flagel is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m., and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org.